Yeah, so I guess Tony's taken a little break from GMing for a while. That can be normal after a long campaign, Elvis. I know, Paul, but our old playgroup kind of fell apart. I think Tony wants to get everyone back together, and he's hoping he can do that by having someone else run a game. Personally, I don't know what to do now that that campaign is over. Feels like a chapter in my life ended. Is he thinking about joining our group? I gave him an invitation, but I don't know, Mason. He also tends to work during our game days. I do have to appreciate how he just rolled with everything. It's true that not many GMs would run a game the way Tony did, and then let the players destroy an important part of the setting, and all the NPCs. Yeah, Lowry, I could never tell if Tony was taking it seriously. Like, he was definitely invested, but he'd also just drop major plot lines to accommodate a scheme we had. And he'd let us kill NPCs even if he'd drawn pictures of them, or whatever. It's like kicking down sandcastles. You bully his world, but he keeps bullying you right back. I think that's what kept me in it. I got punished for everything, but Tony always let me give back when I really wanted to. Yeah, but anyway, we got a game tonight, and I have to confess, I don't know anything about glam rock. Yeah, I... know I, my character can play the guitar and can sing. Yeah, I really don't know a whole lot about the glam rock era either. What do you mean you don't know about glam rock? Paul, it was your game idea. I just like the aesthetic. Kill me. I'm gonna play the bass, but if there are any girls, I want to play them too. Larry, do you mean you want to play as a girl, or is I'm, this... I'm making a euphemism, Paul. Okay. I'm being inappropriate. Smooth. I feel like we don't do skirt chasing as a motive very often. I always worry it's going to make the table feel awkward. You see, Mason, the trick is you just have to look Paul in the eyes and be confident. Make him feel special. Larry, I swear to God. I can't live without you, baby. I'm going to lasso the moon, pull it down from the sky, and then sit it down on my face. Okay. Yeah. See, baby... The moon is a metaphor for your rear end. So you're gonna chase girls, but you didn't take the charm skill. Yeah, Mason. You gotta play what you know. I play the drums! I don't know how to play the drums in real life. Alright, but what's your character, Elvis? That's where I'm hung up. I don't really know. I was thinking about having a substance abuse problem, but I don't know if the premise allows it. I mean... Well, then you gotta be 27 years old, getting that 27 club. Okay, I think I got it. Addictive personality, thrill seeker, bad long-term planning. Are we all just making this up as we go? Are you? You explained all this and it sounded cool. Do you not have a plan? I have an outline, but it's very low concept and I don't know what you guys are going to do with it all. Can you just go over the game premise from the top one more time? I get we're doing some kind of rock and roll thing, but for a one-shot game, it was a lot to take in. All right, so you guys live in a space mining colony called Glam Rock. The operation is set up on an asteroid, which you've been mining for several generations now. Nobody knows where you came from or how you came to be here exactly, but you do know one thing for sure. You serve an enigmatic group of non-speaking aliens you all refer to as the Silent Singers. The asteroid has, above all else, two immutable laws. The first is, you shall not attempt to contact the outside world. The second is that each year, the Silent Singers will present you with 100 crates, which must be filled to the brim with various metals and ores found while mining the asteroid. A large bronze plaque displays these two rules in the central meeting hall of the colony, but an extended scripture explains their reasoning. You mustn't contact the outside world because it's populated by aliens with faster-than-light travel, and therefore, faster-than-light weapons. If some adversary were to become aware of you and decide to attack the colony, the colony would be destroyed before you would even see the weapons coming. This rule is for your own safety and for the continued survival of the colony. The second rule is because the Silent Singers have established a pact with the colony. You give them the medals, and in return, they provide you with enough food and other materials to survive on the asteroid. 
Functionally, you cannot live without the silent singers as patrons, and they support you because of the value that you provide to them. These are the two essential laws of glam rock, which have not been violated in several known lifetimes. However, about 20 years back, the colony made a request for livestock, such that they could produce their own food, in addition to those rations provided by the singers. The singers obliged in the next cycle and brought a kind of lizard which feeds on mold and moss and other things that grow naturally in the caves. It was great for a little while until a few escaped and went feral. And after that, the only way that you could get down into the mines was to use your mining platforms as weapons to fend off the wild biting lizards. But you're in luck there because each of your mining platforms is powered by a musical instrument. The way you play alters the way the platform behaves, and after that debacle and a year of hardship, your people had the singers load up the platforms with weapons. Now when the drummer hits that bass drum just so, it fires a volley of micro-missiles. No dangerous lizard creature is any threat to that, so long as you conserve your ammunition until the next supply drop-off. You almost missed the quota that year. But that isn't where the colony's challenges end. Now you're facing a new issue. You've mined as much of the asteroid as you think you can without causing it to become structurally unstable. Worse, each year the singers drop off a hundred crates, but the crates are getting larger every time. They're true to the letter of the agreement, but this has been pushing the colony harder and harder. Finally, the reduced capacity for work and the constant damage caused by the lizards has caused a variety of shortages. To save on clothing material, ordinary pants have been outlawed. Everyone now wears a Speedo or a pair of ripped-up tights with a codpiece. Everyone is also required to grow out their hair for as long as they can, so it can be trimmed and then used as rope or other things, so everyone has long hair, is on their way to long hair, or has recently been shaved. Those who can play the music and pilot the platforms have become a kind of superstar. You guys, as one of the bands, are the only thing keeping this place together, and everyone loves and respects you if they don't envy you. But as desperation looms, all eyes turn to you, and now everyone is expecting you to pull them through an impossible situation. Are you done? I mean, it, it's a lot of material, but not a, like, what is all that? Yeah, I mean, that's the setting, and I haven't even explained the people in it yet. Paul, isn't this high concept? It is conceptually a lot that seems like a high concept. No, Elvis, in writing, high concept means it's a plot that's easy to explain. Shrek saves the princess and learns to love himself. It's a high concept that can be applied to any setting, and the story revolves around the plot. Low concept means the audience falls asleep halfway through explaining it. No, Lowry, it means the story is focused on the characters and the setting instead of the plot. Shrek is high concept and driven by heading from point A to point B, but a romance story that revolves around the characters and how they come to fall in love would be considered low concept, probably. It's easy to explain the former, and the latter can be summarized as a love story, but the meat of the story takes a decent amount of explanation. So you're going for, like, a character story where we have to improv all the main characters, and the plot driving us is... Economic hardship and an archaic tax system applied to a science fiction setting. And also your rock stars and pants are forbidden. You should just write us a script. Th this is... I'm down for it. I can do it. I can ruin it. It sounds cool, but you probably should have done pre-made characters with the book's worth of backstory and then hashed out motives before the game. That sounds like even more work than usual. I mean, it's, it's a low... Yeah. You know what? I'm just going to base my character on a book I read recently. If Elvis and Lowry want to try it, I will do my best. All right. That's the spirit. It's just one night anyway. Uh, this is going to be more of a challenging game for all of us, but you guys have a basic character hook in your heads, right?
Elvis, you're a substance abuser. Low self-control. All about instant gratification. Yep. Okay, and Lowry, you're a womanizer. And you're bad at it. I assume maybe you're, like, attention-starved. Sure, yeah, I can roll with that. And Mason, what are you doing? Put me down as an ambitious ideologue. The singers are taking advantage of us, and I don't like it. But I'm willing to throw away everything for the status and power to be where I am. All right, great. And you said you're also the vocalist and the band's melody. Elvis, you're the drums. Lowry, you're the bass. Our game begins on the day the silent singers are meant to visit. Your crews have done all they could to gather enough material to fill the crates. And to be honest, it was cut so close you had to toss in a few dud materials you might have otherwise thrown away. There's been a lot of talk about what the singers would do if you broke the second law. And everyone's wondering if they'll notice you cut corners to meet the quota this year. The freighter ship of the silent singers draws into view of your guidance systems. The ship's wings fan out like an angel, with neon-lighted tips pointed in all directions. It sends a tight beam of light towards your station, which is the signal for docking clearance. Butch Knuckles, the colony foreman, signals them in, and the singers dock. Now real quickly, I want to establish some background for you guys and Butch. Mason, Butch and your dad were good friends, and that relationship is part of how you got promoted to lead singer in a band. Your father didn't much like the silent singers either, but Butch is an avid believer in the fairness of the system, and both you and your father got to where you were by cooperating with Butch, whether you liked it or not. Was my dad also a lead singer? Let's say your dad was actually on backup guitar, but always quietly resented it. He never spoke up directly because even though Butch doesn't play anymore, he was and still is a very popular guy. Butch ran your dad's band. He was the lead singer of that band. Okay. That's Butch. The guy my dad should have been. Lowry, Butch stood between you and your career in a band for a while. He didn't think your head was in it for the right reasons, and during that time you had to woo girls on a shoestring budget, which, when applied to more than one girl, went over even worse than normal. However, Butch also relented and eventually let you join after you shacked up with one of the older female platform managers and made your case to her. She pushed him on the merit that you'd do just about anything to keep and live up to this position, and he let you on. What's the lady's name? I'm definitely going to be talking to her. She's got to be the only woman who appreciates my come-ons. Uh, Big Red Deborah. Big Deb. Big Deb. Elvis, you got in your band before the other guys, but have been on thin ice pretty much ever since. After every single bender, Butch has held your hair back and helped you get back on your feet, and has threatened to throw you out of the band if you ever do it again. He hasn't yet acted on that threat, and you're not sure that he ever will. Ah, he's just a big softy. Alright, so, Butch welcomes the singers in. When the airlock opens up, fog pours in. The singers have long, tall figures. They're clad in robes and wear a sort of mask. The whole getup is likely a spacesuit, and the fog is probably normal for their home atmosphere. They speak to one another by broadcasting neon lights, and every visit is wordless. They'll answer yes or no by either flashing a green or red light. The group sets about inspecting the place while everyone in the colony kneels down on the floor, Butch included. They take away the old crates, bring in several boxes and equipment of supplies, then bring in new crates to fill with metal. The whole thing is done swiftly, like a smoothly choreographed dance. Just as it all comes to an end, one of the singers stops before Butch and spreads its arms. This is the signal, and Butch rises to say a few things to the singer, but he's speaking in hushed tones. You can't make out what he's saying. The conversation is brief, and Butch looks concerned. The lights flash, alternating red and green. He seems to be asking a number of questions. Eventually, Butch nods, and the singer glides back to its freighter ship. The airlock closes, the ship departs, and everyone gets off their knees. 
the room starts to murmur. The tithing crates are even larger than the last ones. Arguably, you didn't even make the quota last time. No one is sure you could make it this time, and the rumor is that the last viable veins were tapped for the previous tithe. The murmuring gets louder, and people start trying to talk over one another. Then Butch stands up, and he holds out his hands. All right, listen up. I know how it looks. I had a word with the singers, and they said they expect us to fill the tithe one last time. I explained the situation, that the mine's almost dry, and they understand. What do they understand? Mason, that the mine is almost dry. They know this is the end of the road for glam rock, as it is now. Yeah? And what did they say about it, aside from yes or no? I'm getting to it, just let me arrive. Come on, Mason, just give the guy a second. Don't lecture me. Right, well, I've explained the situation, and they've said we need to fill the last tithe. If we can do that, and if we pull together, I know that we can, they've promised to consider finding a new home for us. The place breaks out in conversation again. There's three bands in total, counting yourselves. The leader of one of the bands, a guy named Padre Raquero, climbs up on his platform and says, What did they say we'd do if we don't meet the tithe? Butch replies, I didn't ask. You know as well as I do, Padre, that's a violation of one of the only two laws laid down by the singers. It'd be a fool's thing to have asked. And yet my hair and I had a dream. I dreamed, Butch, that we didn't meet the quota. Call it the stress of recent events, or perhaps a premonition. My hair advises me to treat the dream as a portent. Things as they are, it may become reality. The hull erupts into arguing. Padre is saying something aloud that a lot of people on Glam Rock have been quietly harboring. What do you guys make of this? I mean, I'm not worried. I mean, what's the singers gonna do if we don't meet our quota? Could just leave us to die on Glam Rock, Elvis. Yeah, but you don't know that. It's never happened before. They've never left us to die on Glam Rock before, either. So, real quick, let's establish some backstory for you guys with Padre. Man, can someone give me a pencil? I am gonna have to write this stuff down. Here you go. Man, I feel like it's been a long time since I took session notes. I remember doing it for our old D&D games, but eventually I realized everything could be summarized as go to dungeon, stab monster, and if we forgot any details, killing whatever was at the end of the dungeon was usually the right answer. Maybe we just kill everyone in Glamrock, and then we won't have to remember who they are. All right, Mason. Your dad never approved of Padre. Padre's older than you, but still plenty young. He does this thing where he talks to his hair, and no one is sure if it's a stage bit or something that's legitimately wrong with him because he seems fully functional in society, but never drops the character. In your interactions with him, it seems like he looks down on you, and sometimes describes you as having less experience than him. It's true, but also annoying. Lowry. Padre's kind of a kindred spirit to you. Also a bit of a womanizer, he gets around. This also makes him a bit of a romantic rival, and a more successful one, although it's true that girls who fall for him are also usually likely to fall for the same tricks twice. You did have one awkward brush with him when you came on to his drummer. You're not sure what's going on there. It doesn't seem like they're an item, but Padre did not like you trying to mess with her. What's her name? Uh, Nichols. Her real name is Nicole, but everyone calls her Nichols. Was she receptive to me at all? Pretty much as soon as you took a pass at Nichols, Padre threatened to beat you up. All right. Hypocrite. I'd let him sleep with Elvis. Elvis! Padre does not interact with you very much, romantically or otherwise. You get the feeling that he's avoiding you. Ah, uh, why? You have no idea. You don't talk to the guy. Is it my drug problem? It's probably my drug problem. Next, the other band leader stands up on her platform. It's Kinsey Stone. Her group doesn't create as much trouble in general, and in that way her team is seen as sort of the poster children for what a band should be. Look, she says, 
I know it looks bad and all we have to go on is faith, but as one of the leaders on this mining project, I'd like to say that I believe in myself and everyone here. I know the engineers will help us get through this. The technicians will keep the platforms running, the chefs will keep us fed, and everybody will be doing everything they have to to make this work. Brock says, Thank you, Kinsey. I couldn't have put it any better myself. This colony is our whole world. There's plenty of other asteroids out there, maybe even whole planets to mine. I think that what the singers are doing is putting us through a test. If we can fill this last tithe, they'll see we're worth it. And so help me, I know we all are. Now everyone take your vacation days. Got some planning work to do. It's a big task, but I know that we're up to it. Enjoy the holiday. I'll see everyone soon. Brock steps down, and the crowd begins to fan out and disperse. But real quick, let's establish some work history with Kinsey. Mason, you have found Kinsey to be very easy to work with. She's less ambitious than you and stays focused on getting things done. In a lot of ways, she runs a better band than yours, but she doesn't advertise it. Some people know the fact, a lot of people don't. Okay. Lowry, Kinsey has rejected every advance that you've made towards her. Perhaps more than any other woman, she sees through you like you're made of glass, and she is simply not having it. At best, you can tease a little professional courtesy out of her, but otherwise the temperature towards you is absolute zero. Well, that sounds like I should almost definitely leave her alone. Or maybe she's in love with me and I should double down. Elvis, Kinsey seems to pity you. You're supposed to be equals to her in a way, so it's actually a little embarrassing. She seems to think that you need help, or specifically her help, but she doesn't really get you. Well, I am a pretty complicated creature, to be fair. And there it is, the most important people, the plight, and the moment of glam rock. As you guys head back to your rooms to pack it in for your brief vacation days, you notice people talking in hushed tones as you walk past. Nobody's made up their minds yet, but as band leaders, you guys are the pillars of glam rock. You have one year, and succeed or fail, everything will have changed. Everyone here revolves around the work that you do, and for generations it's all they've known. Every eye on the station is on you. <laughs> 